giving each of you a copy of chapter 2, which is in the Amplified Version. Uh, there are just phrase, some phrases and concepts in the book of Ecclesiastes that sometimes are more helpful if you draw from some other uh, translations. So I'm not sure. I first thought we would start off with just reading straight through it, but I'm going to punt on that at this point. I want to take just a moment to have uh, just a couple of words of reintroduction we'll put it that way, and just the whole concept of this book. Um, written as the Holy Spirit moved the pen of Solomon, and you say, oh gee, you mean that guy who had all those wives? Well, you have to understand the Ecclesiastes, uh, the Song of Solomon, and the Proverbs came at different points in his life. He starts out well in life, and that is, we won't be dogmatic on this, but this is probably when he wrote uh, the Song of Solomon. He's committed to one woman. It's a beautiful love story. And just as a side note, uh, there are people who, when they read the Song of Solomon, say, well, that is exclusively an intimate uh, expression of the relationship between Christ and the church. And there's no doubt that that's in there. Uh, There are others who take it as sort of a sex manual. Uh, There are some intimate uh, words in it. There are are times and places in history when uh, Song of Solomon would not be allowed to be read uh, in any open church. Uh, and in our culture and time, there are people who take that aspect of it and go to, go to seed with it, and I think miss the main point. The main point, for example, in your marriage, or in the marriage that you will have, or in the marriage that someone in your world has, even though you're not married and may not be married, maybe used to be married, whatever, but uh, you need to listen with eyes and hearts, not only for the word to you, but the word that God can give through you. And so you may, you may speak from the point of failure. Or I did this and this and I failed. God has forgiven me. Here's God's word. Don't do what I did. <laughs> Follow the word. So the word of God is always much more... Uh, interesting and exciting to us when we realize God has given us the word that we might know the God of the word, that we might uh, share with others the, the written word, that we might have, uh, encourage them in their fellowship with the living word. And so uh, this time today is not an end in itself. It's, it's to be a springboard. And so again, with Song of Solomon, uh, great spring road in that direction. Proverbs, of course, is a, a wealth of, of information on a variety of subjects. Practical wisdom on daily living. If you've never done this, take whatever day of the month it is, and as a part of your Bible reading, read that chapter. Today is February 
17. So today, read Proverbs chapter 17. You say, well, what about months that don't have 31 days? Well, you can figure all that out. Make, make some adaption. For, for, for most of the days, you're, you're good. And then, so here we are with uh, Ecclesiastes, which is written from, from the perspective of Solomon having... Now, I'm sure none of you have never done this. You've never looked at all the wealthy people or this particularly wealthy person or this particularly gifted person Man, if I could do that. Man, if I had this. Oh, if I had this, I had that. Oh, I, I could. And sometimes we, well, it's going to be tight on the budget, but I'm going to get this. And we live in a world where we're always chasing the wind, trying to uh, get happiness, trying to get fulfillment. We're sure that that person over there who has life better than you, we're sure they have it. And I was, I was, I've shared this before, but uh, many years ago, living on Timberwood Drive in the church parsonage, and the house next door is a young couple, and they didn't profess to know the Lord, they didn't go to church, and uh, he has a nice car, he has a nice boat, uh, he has a nice lawnmower, and I'm out there on a little riding lawnmower that, uh, I, it looked like a midget with a giant sitting on it. It was too small for me. But, so I'm thinking, well, if I didn't tithe, if I didn't give offerings to the Lord, I could have all that. I said, that's how pagan as pagan pagan can be. And sometimes we think that way. Well, the psalm, the, uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes, he had everything that most people have ever dreamed about in an effort to be happy. And the good news is, when he gets to the end of the book, he says, he's, all the way through, he says, vanity, 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 vanity. At the end, of, end of the day, he says, obey the Lord. And that's where happiness and fulfillment is found. Years ago, I went to a meeting that was held at this church when I was pastor up at Hartsville. And the First Baptist Hartsville had just inherited $100,000. Now, that's a pretty good sum of money, especially in the early 70s. And a pastor from Lebanon, there was some sort of area meeting that was held here. Uh, David Jicka, I can't believe I picked out his name. He was pastor at uh, the church over there. He came up to me and patted me on the back. The word had gotten around. He said, man, I wish I had your problems. Meaning, he knew that we had $100,000. Well, you know what happened when we got $100,000? We had a split the year before. And uh, we had people that didn't particularly like me. And we'd gotten over that. And we were doing well. But now, when we got the $100,000, these people started coming back. They wanted to have control on how to spend that money. I didn't say anything to my brother, but I'm thinking, oh, brother, I wish you did have the problems I have. The person that you think has it, has the, you don't know all that's on their plate. So be careful about that kind of judgment. But the message of, 
of Ecclesiastes is he tried it all, had success at it all, and vanity of vanity, all is vanity, and um, and so that's uh, that's a part of the message of the book. So let's start now for this morning uh, in chapter two, and. Uh, I'm going to read some of the verses. What I'm going to be reading is what you have here. And so let's start with a few verses reading from the Amplified. The Amplified is much like a typical translation of KJV or New KJV or New American Standard or ESV, but it's got amplification. So I said to myself, come now. I will test you with pleasure and gratification to enjoy yourself and have a good time. But behold, this too was vanity, futility, meaninglessness. I said of laughter, it is madness, and of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to gratify myself with wine, while at the same time having my mind remain steady. So he's, he's drinking alcoholic beverages, but he's being careful. He doesn't set out to want to be a, a drunkard. He wants to be able to be stable and to guide me wisely and how to take control of foolishness until I could see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. And then verse 4, I made great works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and orchards for myself, and I planted them all kinds of fruit trees. I made pools of water for myself from which to water the forest and to make the trees bud. So let's pause there for a second. So here, here is... A, Here's a man who is looking at life and he's pursuing satisfaction. Now, there's nothing wrong in and of itself of wanting to do well, of, of being a good steward, of trying to excel in your work. In fact, um, the Bible is against laziness. Uh, it, it ordains work as an honorable thing. And you should have a vision uh, as a Christian of doing the best you can as a, uh, because you're concerned about the reputation of Jesus Christ. And you should want to make your employer a success. You may not like him. He may not be a Christian. But you're wanting to represent Jesus Christ. And, and so you're wanting to do the very best you can. At, at whatever you're doing. But that's not your place of fulfillment. That's not your place where you get uh, you know, just great feelings about yourself. That comes with, I'm wanting to do it to honor the Lord. I can lay my head down tonight by the grace of God and say, Lord Jesus, by your grace, I sought to honor you today. And may the fragrance of that touch somebody's life. So, uh, here in, in these verses, in verse 2, he's, 
he's pursuing fun and laughter. Now, who, who gave us the ability to have humor and, and to laugh? Well, but would you say in our society that there are numbers of people in and out of churches who that's what they live for is fun and laughter to forget the pain of everyday living. We had uh, some people that lived in our home for about six months. But this guy would just keep you in stitches. And yet, in the heart of hearts, he was the most miserable, angry, depressed person at that point in his life that I had been around. Uh, we have the ability to turn things on and off, and, and that person that you think has life by the tail, they may be about to sink. And so, but we need something more than just fun and games. I find it interesting that more and more in churches today, unless you provide fun and games, unless you provide entertainment. If you want to see a great host of elderly or older Christians, just go to Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge. I haven't been to Bronson. All over. Bus loads of people are brought in week after week for entertainment. And very few of these older saints are, have any vision of what Paul told Timothy, that the older saints are to teach the younger saints. Even pastors. Uh, so, the, so they're now retired. And they're on my Facebook list. Nobody calls me up to ask me to preach. Or if they know me, why don't you ask me to preach? I say, well, we have people within our church. We don't typically go out to outsiders. We're trying to disciple and raise up the next generation. So I said, you're a member of a local church, right? Well, who are you discipling in your church? What about preaching before one every week? Well, see, this mindset, I can preach from the pulpit. But to set time every week to disciple someone, well, that's what we're called to do. We're built up by that which every joint, every member supplies. There's no place to just come and sit and soak and sour or be entertained. It's a place to plug in, a place to have my ears and heart open uh, what's going on in that person's life? Maybe they, can enter, maybe they can encourage me. Maybe I can encourage them. There's no uh, position in the scripture where God has called uh, uh, someone to be a minister of comedy. A lot of churches that are looking for pastors, one of the things they'll put in their list of things, he needs to have a good sense of humor. Well, nothing wrong with humor. But if you have humor and you have entertainment and, and you're not giving people the word of God, 
then what are you doing? Okay, verse 3. So he's, uh, he's dealing with drinking. I gave myself to wine. People all over the map as to biblically what is sound theology. Uh, can you drink it all? Should you be a teetotaler? Uh, is it okay to drink? And probably here there's different places and positions on this. But I find it interesting that uh, we are in a time, uh, a growing time when pastors are more and more in, engaging in drinking, having Bible studies with drinking. Some church, a few churches even have bars in their church. Uh, what, what are we looking for? Is that something in your system that is known to affect how you think, regardless of how you feel about the rightness or wrongness? No, but I've not read anybody who said, we're doing this because it helps us to understand the Bible better. I can only say that in my life, and I've known some people that I love and respect, who socially drink, uh, and I could talk to them to their blue in the face, and they're going to hold on to that. Um, but I've ne never heard any of them say that this is really helps me with my Christian life. And what, I've, what I have experienced is that people who started out that way, when life tumbled in and got tough unexpectedly, that which they had turned to just to relax them and they've had a hard day and they just have it under control. Now, when life has tumbled in and life has fallen apart, they get plastered with it. I, and, and there are so many things. This is just one thing. And it's easy to talk about the one that's not my deal. But sin is of a similar nature. Sin is addictive. I don't care what it is. And, and so, and there are things that maybe in and of themselves are not sin. But if they become idols, then they're just as destructive. Uh, again, it's, it's, as far as I know, it's not a, it's not a sin to have, have a vehicle that we all drove in, drove here in today. But uh, can, can, can a vehicle become an idol? So again, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to limit this just to drinking, but it, we, our culture is just like Solomon's culture. People are looking for something to give them a kick, give them a sense of fulfillment, uh, and these are just places where this is not. Uh, this is not where it's found. Uh, so. Uh, Possessions. He not only did the drinking thing, uh, and again, as we're talking about, we can spread this out to so many things that we can be addicted to. Um, but achievements. He built cities. Uh, verse four through six. Uh, he built pools. He had all kinds of. And uh, I notice uh, sometimes when I turn on my computer. They'll have somebody's picture and say, 
you won't believe where they live. And so those, uh, initially when I first saw something, I thought, well, that's, where do they live? And in case you've ever gone searching for that person, uh, it must be at the end somewhere because they'll show you 50,000 others before they get to theirs. But it's amazing the houses that people live in. And uh, it's amazing how that even on a, just a lower level, I've witnessed people who had good jobs and had a nice house and did not need a bigger house but wanted one. And so they put themselves under stress that they didn't have because now they have a bigger house. And that just goes on. It can be houses, lands, cars, whatever. Again, nothing wrong with um, uh, being one who is creative and, and, a, and a builder. Uh, I'll, I'll throw out a name. I'm a name dropper. R.G. Letourneau. You ever heard of him? Some of you have, earlier than us. Uh, very wealthy man. It wasn't given to him. He worked hard. He was a construction guy, big-time construction guy. Um, LaGuardia Air, Airport, he, he built that. and Who knows whatever. But he went into business with God and gave 90% to the Lord's work. And there are missionaries and missions all over the world that were funded and maybe funded even today through what God did through him. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, uh, and I just lost my name, the missionary in China that had a thousand missionaries on him. Uh, what? Hudson Taylor. He started out very, very, very poor. And when he just had quarters, he made sure that he gave to the Lord. And so it's a mindset. It's where your heart is. And because that's true, I, don't, I need to guard my heart. I don't need to walk, run down the street or go. Uh, I'm sure he's living for himself. Look at that big house. I don't know that. I don't need to be judging the other person. I need to be judging myself. Okay. Um, our pursuits don't bring satisfaction. Um, even if we excel in them, that's part of the essence of first nine verses there. Um, and if we, we can explore every possible thing that's out there, if that's on our ability, uh, you say, well, I just haven't found the right combination. There's one more thing I haven't tried yet. No. Uh, and even if we can, we can do things and enjoy them, and that's a gift from God. But again, it comes down to, to the big I, is, is, am I on the throne about it? Look at your uh, Amplified here. Verse 11, Then I considered all which my hands had done and labored to do, and behold, all was vanity. 
and chasing after the wind, there was no profit, nothing of lasting value under the sun. Verse 12, so I turned to consider wisdom, secular wisdom, madness and folly. For what will the man do who succeeds the king? Nothing except what has already been done. Then I saw that even secular wisdom that brings that brings sorrow is better than the pleasures of folly and self-indulgence as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I know that in the end, one fate happens to them both. Then I said to myself, verse 15, as it happens to the fool, so death also happens to me. What use is it then for me to be extremely wise? Then I said in my heart, this too is vanity, meaninglessness. For there is no more lasting remembrance of the wise men than the fool, since in the days to come all will be long forgotten. And how does a wise man die? Even as a fool. Now keep in mind, in reading Ecclesiastes, it's all the inspired word of God. It's what God wants to have written. But when you're reading the scripture, you have to have discernment to understand, is this the truth, or is it a partial truth, or is it a lie? One of the first things... Or is it sarcasm? Huh? Or is it sarcasm? Or, yeah, or is it sarcasm? Yeah. Uh, and just in case you're missing the point, one of the first things we have in the book of Genesis is a lie. God said this, Satan comes along and says, oh no, this. Well, that's a lie. Now, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit inspired to be written, but you have to be discerning. And so is Solomon, who is recounting his pursuit in life of all this stuff. Uh, we have to be careful to make sure we're getting, is this, is this a truth from God? Is it a partial truth? Or is it something that's totally not wrong? Anyway, so in verse 17... So I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun caused me only great sorrow, because all is futility and chasing after the wind. Here's a man who's he's on the throne of his life. He's taking, he's taking use of a lot of things that God has provided. Uh, the, the atheist or whatever. He was a person who builds a great pyramid or builds some of the great buildings of the world or does whatever, and they're using gifts that God has given them, they may be atheists. And, uh, and God has his purposes for what he brings and for what he allows. And, but so here, the problem that, uh, that uh, the preacher, as he's called, uh, ran into is that death is no respecter of persons. Uh, verse 12 through 14, you may have wisdom and uh, your wisdom may be greater than that of the fool, but death doesn't recognize the difference. Uh, death comes to all. And death has no respect uh, of these things. Has no, and then there's no remembrance uh, of, of the work. And people may have a, a bridge named after them. And after a while, who's that? Yeah. 
uh, I, I drove by the farm that we used to own down in Georgia, and there was a road that cut between the farm that went from that main road. We had a, like a mile frontage on this main road. This road here cuts off and goes over to Mayfield. And I grew up with it being a dirt road. I think it's paved now. I drove by Perry Bell Road. Well, he was dead when they named it after him. I don't know why they named it after him. But I don't know anybody in Hancock County that remembers my dad today. But, but that's life. And, and there, well, I, I was a major... I was a, a history major, and we, we talked about all these dead people, all these dead kingdoms. But it's not something that you spend a lot of time thinking about. Uh, things go into memory, and uh, death does not relieve uh, our zeal. I want to be remembered. I'm going to leave a legacy. Well... Another problem in verse 18 through 23, okay, so I'm going to leave a legacy, but what are they going to do with it? Again, the futility of, of this life. So in the verse 18, so he says, So I hated all the fruit, the gain of my labor, for which I had labored under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will succeed me. And uh, there, there are all kinds of problems when people die, when it comes to the will, when it comes to who things are going to be left to, who's going to be in the will, who's going to be left out of the will, uh, all those kinds of things. And who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all of the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. So I turned aside and let my heart despair over all the fruit of my labor for which I labored under the sun. For there is a man who has labored with wisdom and knowledge and skill, yet gives his legacy to one who has not labored for it. This too is vanity and a great evil. For what does a man get from all of his labor and from the striving and sorrow of his heart with which he labors under the sun. For all of his days, his work is painful and sorrowful, yet even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and to drink and to assure himself that there is good in his labor. Even this I have seen is from the hand of the Lord. For who can eat and have and who can have enjoyment without him? Now, let's get to that in just a moment. We don't want to close today without getting to that. Because some people have misread that to say, well, see, God has said, eat, drink, and be merry. Well, that's the wrong application. That's the wrong understanding of what is being said here. It leaves out the main part of it. But... The, the deal here in this section is that, uh, you know, you, you, you leave all this stuff and, you know, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, uh, did evil. 
verse uh, 2 Chronicles 12, 14, he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Uh, we've labored, we've struggled, sorrowed, uh, all these things, but we have, no, we have no assurance of what others are going to do with it. Now, as a Christian, as, as I follow the Lord, as I serve him, uh, there's going to be the judgment seat of Christ. And, and there's going to, there are going to be rewards. And um, I don't know how this is going to work out, but think, for example, if you, by the grace of God, even in this life, have had at least one person that you can say, by the grace of God, I helped introduce this person to Christ, or I introduced him or her to someone and they came to Christ. And it's one of the greatest joys of my life to see so-and-so prosper. Uh, so, that, so this ongoing reward, this ongoing blessing, uh, there sometimes, and this is not to lift me up, it's just a, just a, a reality that I've spent mega hours with couples working on their marriage and so forth. And there sometimes I'll see people's pictures on Facebook and it just breaks my heart because they turned their back on God's word and did not follow. There are other times when I see their pictures, I rejoice. Because here, 10, 15, 20 years later, they're serving the Lord. And uh, again, to, to go to a church up in Portland to introduce Bobby Gupta to that church and the, the pastor introduced me. Well, the first time I met that pastor, he wasn't a pastor. Uh, he was having a hard affair with his wife's sister and was one of the most arrogant people I ever met in my life, it, it seemed to me. But he repented and Lord, the Lord transformed his life and transformed the marriage and, and so it had been several years and so his children had never seen me before. And so before the service, I'm there with Bobby Gupta and this brother and people introducing one and the other and these two little children come up. And I didn't know who they were, but they were just staring at me. And the pastor said, these are my children and they wanted to see you, they wanted to meet you. You see, in their eyes, I was God's tool to save the marriage. They loved their mother, they loved their father. And they loved the fact that mother and daddy were loving each other. The greatest blessing that you could ever have this side of heaven is to have some part in the transforming of a life. So don't underestimate what God wants to do through you. And don't underestimate the blessing. Start right there in your home. Go home and treat your wife uh, like she's a queen, like she's a sister in the Lord, uh, manifest the love of Christ to her and, and see what God does in your own heart. So satisfaction or enjoyment is based on the resources that come from God when they're used uh, as God so desires, as God 
not for our own pleasure, not for our own name, but in, in order to exalt him. Uh, satisfaction is based on our relationship with God. Uh, that's the foundational thing. Uh, and again, you can, you can be a pastor and your satisfaction is based on the esteem of men rather than on the pleasure of God. Uh, satisfaction is based on our response to God. This is not saying that work, works do not get you to heaven, but it is well-pleasing to the Lord when we serve him and do as he bids us as a part of our being rightly related to him. The only answer to the futility of life's pleasures and pursuits is to find joy and satisfaction in the precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A man who'd had great trouble in life. John Newton was a rescuer for him. And, and this man, William Cowper, or William Cooper as some people call him, uh, out of the throes of a life that was so tumultuous and prone to depression, uh, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein. He wrote that hymn. And then years later, the Haven of Rest Quartet, they don't take offerings or they don't beg for money. Uh, they're not entertainment oriented. They just sing wonderful hymns. And this lady wrote a letter and said, I'm not one of you all. I never will be. I listen to your program every Monday. I have no right to ask this because... I'm not one of you, and I've not included my name or my return address because I don't want any contact from you. However, I like your music. I like the way you do it. And there's one song that you sing that is my favorite. There is a fountain filled with blood. Now, you know that God is up to something when he has an agnostic who likes that hymn. Well, the... Haven Arrest Quartet got that. They began to pray, and every Monday, because that's when she listened, every Monday they worked that song into their program for years. And it brought on conversation and experiences, and ultimately the friendly agnostic came to Christ. And here was John Newton, greatly used of God, great impact on uh, William Cowper, who was, John, who was William Cowper, fighting through the troubles of his own life, clinging to Christ. And now we, many of you have been blessed with that hymn. So, we, we live in a world of stuff, and it wants your attention, it wants your heart. Take what is placed in your hand as good gifts from God to be used for his glory. No pride, no arrogancy, humility, and be a giver. Father, we thank you for your amazing love and mercies. Help us to profit from this uh, chapter in our lives to go out into our world, to walk in humility and boldness for Christ. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.